today I sat down with none other than Tim Jordan. Tim is the founder of many businesses, some successful, others less successful, and we actually jump into it, but he's pretty well known for his work with Private Label Legion, a free Facebook group that ladders up into a paid mastermind, as well as his work with Sellers Funding and many other key players in the e-commerce ecosystem. We have a really candid chat about things around failure, understanding what we're good at versus what we are not good at and making those decisions to really double down into the areas where we add value. I hope you guys take a lot from this. I did just knowing that Tim is extremely honest and genuine and that no BS approach really for me speaks volumes. Hi, and welcome to Successful Scales the show where I interview now successful professionals about their journey and try and garner insights onto any tips that can be applied to your business at home. Whether it's financial freedom or the exit of your company, wherever your journey may take you, the idea here is to simply learn from those who've done it before. I hope you enjoy and you get some value out of this. Buckle up and enjoy the episode. Tim, mate, Welcome to an episode of Successful Scales. Had to throw the mate in there. Uh, I see the Australian, uh, I see Australia and our poorer brothers or cousins, uh, New Zealand, just sitting there on the map behind you. So it just, it was a trigger. But anyway, <laughs> welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's great to, to sit down. Listen, I've been privy to watching what I would actually define as a bit of magic that you have up your sleeve in how you operate. Uh, you know, I personally, I've been really impressed. You know, I'm looking here, I'm seeing sellers funding, I'm seeing private label legion, you know, before I jump in and I absolutely butcher your background and everything that makes you, you from a professional perspective, um, love you to tell the audience, anyone who might be living under a rock and not know who you are uh, a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I think you're overselling it, but I'll, uh, I'll give you the intro anyways. Uh, I got into e-commerce by accident. Before then, uh, about 2015, I was working as a full-time firefighter paramedic, and I had a part-time job doing logistics and procurement for a, a prime contractor for the U.S. State Department. So the the groups that go in and do consulate and embassy work, and we're also putting in infrastructure in Iraq and Afghanistan at the time. So that was a part-time job. Uh, I got my feet wet with logistics and supply chain and uh, kind of international business. And I found out you could sell stuff on Amazon. Long story short, did really, really well at that in a wholesale model. But I realized, hey, we got to start creating our own brands because if our supply chain shuts down, we're toast, right? So, or if our wholesale contacts shut down. So I started using the contacts I had like in China, places like that, um, all over all over Asia, really. And uh, creating my own products, launching them on Amazon in 2015, 2016, of course, is when it was easy to do. And from there, I spun up a company doing uh, sourcing and logistics, mostly out of China, uh, eventually even opened up in Central America and Guatemala, uh, set up three PLs here in the US. So we were sourcing for a lot of people. We were shipping, we were consolidating, we were prepping, we were warehousing, and it gave me kind of a unique perspective of what works or what doesn't. So to do marketing for that company, which is called Hickory Flats, I was doing content. I was getting on podcasts and webinars, going to events. And it uh, turns out, I think I'm better at content than I was at logistics because that business, I eventually uh, sold it, um, not having been very successful, very saturated market. Since then, I've, I've operated, launched, and uh, exited several e-commerce brands, but I've also found I have this crazy niche for uh, strategic consulting and um, like collaborations and business development, right? So 
I'm not a good corporate employee, but I love working with corporations in the space that, that have teams that I could throw ideas to and they execute. So I've worked as a strategic advisor for fintech companies, logistics companies, software companies, marketing companies, um, investment banks, all sorts of crazy stuff, right? And just kind of got to see the crazy world that we live in in e-commerce. At one point, uh, one of my consultancies was sellers funding. And uh, I came on board with them as a chief growth officer for about a year, kind of helped them put some systems together, some teams. And then I'm actually stepping out of that role right now back to a contractor advisory role and partnering with them on events and some stuff we're doing. So right now I'm, I'm selling online. I do have uh, the Private Label Legion community, which is just a free online community. Um, we don't really care about big numbers. We care about engagement. We have a, a paid mastermind that's part of that. I'm partners with Norm Farrar on that. And then uh, just doing collaborations, partnerships with, with other companies in the space, getting to keep, keep my kind of toes dipped into a lot of water and hosting the AMPM podcast, which is one of the most well-known and longest running Amazon selling podcasts in the world. So big list. Yeah. And here you are telling me, uh, do you think I've oversold you? I feel like even with my introduction, I've undersold the shit out of you. So uh, come well, on, mate. Well, listen, just because I'm doing a lot doesn't mean I'm doing any of it well. <laughs> There's a caveat there. <laughs> well, you know, like I like I was saying to you before we hit record, you know, I've seen you operating as a strategic consultant, working with sellers funding and a few other ventures. And, you know, I, for me, looking in and sort of being the fly on the wall, it's very clear that you're very adept to where your skill sets are, how to bring the right people in, how to actually take action, you know, rather than just, you know, there's a lot of fluff, I would say, that exists, just not just in the space, but in general. And so, you know, I've not just heard of you, seen what you've done, I've been in the room with you. So I have a pretty good sense of, of how you operate. And so that's also, that builds for me, that level of, of impression too. So yeah, mate, I, I mean, I, my hands off from how many things I wrote down there. I mean, such a fascinating background and experience you have. And I think that diversity and the cross pollination of experiences and ideas, like that's where you get the best outcomes and the best objectives. You know, when I look at what we've done for, for a Scala, for our consulting business, you know, we took mostly a agency focused creative design principle experience into you know what's a little bit more stale in traditional management consulting and we've created a much more fluid and engaging process for people to sort of make it more simple to understand and easy to digest it's still a complex thing but i think that when you have people with very different experiences or when you yourself possess and have experienced many different things that's when you can really bring you know an x factor to the to the table so again super apparent um i want to start at the start here um firefighter how long were you a firefighter for walk me through that because that for me i feel like it it says a lot of things about you but without making assumptions tell me well i i think what it says about me is i didn't want a corporate job you know i went to school for business and while i was in college i was super poor you know in fact living on food stamps here in the u.s you know i went and qualified for food stamps college student just because i had zero money, you know, working two or three part-time jobs, but the small city I went to college in had a program where if you uh, were a volunteer firefighter, you got paid per call, right? So they didn't pay you, but volunteers, and it was a bunch of those college students, really. The alarm went off, we'd go and we'd get paid per call. They opened up a program where they said, hey, we want six of you to become full-time firefighters. We can't pay you. <laughs> Crap. They said, but we'll give you free housing. And I was paying a lot for dorms. 
So we basically, um, they built an apartment on the back of uh, the main fire station downtown and said, you can live here for free. We'll give you a food stipend. You just have to log 40 hours a week. So even if we were out on the weekends or in and out during class, every time we walked in, we punched in. Every time we walked out, we punched out. And that let the city increase their fire prevention safety rating. Oh, we have six full-time firefighters. It's kind of a scam, right? But it's cool. I got to live with a bunch of cool dudes. Um, we you went through on the, campus. So you went through the training, training though. They sent us through uh, kind of a rudimentary training. It was pretty, pretty light, right? Um, and I thought, hey, this is an adventure. I'll never do this again. But when I moved, uh, when I left college, moved down to Alabama, followed my now wife down here is where she's from. Uh, man, every time a fire truck would drive down the road, I was looking at it, you know, like, man, I wish I was on that. So I applied for the fire department here. The year I applied, there was over 2,500 applicants and they only hired 25 of us. And a lot of the guys in my class had been applying for like six years, seven years. One guy, even 12 years. And his dad was a district chief. It took him 12 years. And somehow I got on the first time. So um, I was pretty good at it. I, I graduated top of my class in fire academy, second in my class in medic school, and then um, got wrapped up in some of the cool like specialty teams. Like imagine like, you know, police has SWAT. Well, fire department rescue has what's called urban search and rescue teams. So I became a structural collapse specialist, a hazmat technician, a confined space specialist, high angle rescue specialist. Um, let's see, low angle, swift water, um, just a bunch of stuff, right? And I ended up, you know, going long, on some national. How long was this for? So, uh, so I did that for about ten years. So after ten years, I decided, hey, this is all fun and games. This is great. I was working at one of the busiest stations. Uh, we were running like twenty calls a shift, right? So we were we were always moving. It was crazy experiences. But uh, I found myself wanting to be on my computer. You know, I'd come in, I check my gear off. Um, when I technically left, I was an engineer. So I would drive the truck, run all the equipment, all that stuff, check my truck off. I go straight back to my bedroom, get on my computer and start checking Amazon sales or checking my shipping systems or whatever it was. And I realized, hey, you know, I've done this 10 years. My retirement's going to vest. I'm, uh, I think it's time for me to walk away because, you know, I want to follow my, my other passion, which is business. You know, I figured out entrepreneurism was my passion. So at 10 years, they'd let me have my retirement. So 10 years in one day, I turned in my paperwork took my retirement, rolled it out, dumped all of my retirement back into uh, my business and <laughs> kind of haven't, haven't looked back since. So I guess that's been three or four years ago now. Uh, time's flying and, and uh, here we are. Mate, well, I mean, that's, you know, that's, it's almost like the origin story, right? It's, yeah. I think that it says a lot about, you know, the, the experiences that you've had, you know, that level of discipline you know, you've really excelled in a specific field. 10 years is a long time to actually really get to the core of it. You've done great things and you've sort of decided that, you know, entrepreneurship is a core passion and you've moved into it. I think that having that level of structure, discipline, training, like that's at the, that's at the baseline of any success, in my opinion, that I've ever experienced. It's that repetition. It's that commitment. It's the long-term drive not looking at those incrementals like oh you know my sales were up yesterday that's great tomorrow shit you know a week ago was pretty awful as well you know it's not about you're not looking and measuring it in those moments in time you're measuring it over long periods understanding what am i doing to to get better so makes a lot of sense to me and also i think you know you said you were an engineer by the end like those as well in my experience when i'm working with people inside of escala in particular I mean, they make the best team members because they are just so 
meticulous, methodical, and wired for process documentation and building systems. So it's a fundamental skill that a lot of people, particularly entrepreneurs, miss. Yep, agreed. So you went from that to, I mean, at what point in time did the procurement into products, sending them to Iraq, when did that happen? Like, at what point in the timeline? <laughs> that was a that was a part-time job for me, you know, at the fire station. So I would literally go in and check off my gear. We do our daily training. Unless an alarm went off, man, I was trying to take bids for Russian dump truck tires or for diesel generators out of the UK or Quest protein bars, you know, whatever you could imagine. Have you seen that movie War Dogs? Yeah, I have. So that was me, but not weapons. You know, in that movie, they go around and they're providing weapons to the U.S. military. So it was at the same time, we were even using the same systems they mentioned in the movie, like fedbizops.gov, right, where they put out this stuff. So anything that was non-weaponry, I was doing. So it was the infrastructure, it was refueling systems, it was air conditioning units for barracks, it was everything that the State Department ran. So I was involved with, with the entire operation to set up the entire power grid at Kandahar Air Base in Afghanistan. Um, we did fleet and uh, like vehicle management for everything going on at Bagram uh, Air Base. I mean, like it was crazy, the stuff that I was doing, and it was part-time. So I'd literally be negotiating multi-million dollar purchases, standing outside the fire station so my captain couldn't hear me because I was supposed to be doing some EMS training, and I was taking these phone calls. You know, it was, it was nuts. Um, just fell into it by accident, turned out to be good at it. Wow, pretty wild. I mean, what, what did you pick up through that experience? Just that there's a lot of ways to be in business without being corporate, right? Like we were cowboys, man. We were figuring stuff out. I got to witness duffel bags of cash being handed over. I've got to fly in planes with no tail numbers, you know, like, like even in, you know, very corporate America, there were areas where people just could make stuff up and go and try it and experiment. And that was like, that kind of hit a chord that I think I had in me, which was this natural desire to be entrepreneurial, right? But I got to do it with a really, really big budget. And I got to, uh, to do it with very little oversight, you know, as, as essentially a startup company that was supplying stuff to the State Department. Um, and I started also learning, of course, supply chain logistics, how to ship stuff around. Um, I don't talk about it much, but at the same time, we started a company in Kenya, right? Nairobi, Kenya, and um, with some contacts that I had and we started buying heavy machinery in the U.S. Caterpillar equipment. So we were buying bulldozers, um, road graders, large excavators. And I had some commercial property and we would bring them to my property. We'd paint them up. We'd fix all the hydraulic hoses, make them all nice and shiny and put them on boats and send them to Nairobi, Kenya, of all places, and sell them to, to big land developers. So then I was doing all sorts of crazy stuff, but I started learning logistics and supply chain. The heavy equipment is what took me to China. Because after the uh, Beijing Olympics, a lot of these big contractors got over there and done construction and left wonderfully, you know, meticulously maintained Caterpillar equipment. And I was going and buying, you know, 80,000 pound bulldozers in Shanghai, disassembling them, putting them in like multiple containers and shipping them to Africa and reassembling them. And I was doing all this, like taking leave or taking holiday or calling in sick. Like every day I'd wake up. Um, Were you flying over there? Yeah. So I'd like wake up in Shanghai and I'd be like, all right, it's, it's night there. And I'd set an alarm where at like 4 PM, 5 PM in Shanghai time, it was like 6 AM uh, local time for me. And I would pick up my phone and use a Google voice number through a VPN to make it obvious that I was 
and I would like call dispatch. I'd be like, oh, this is uh, firefighter Jordan station 11. Uh, I, I'm going to be sick today. Can you please advise district chief? Like, okay. So I was literally calling in sick from China. <laughs> Nobody knew I was over there. That is Burning wild. Leave, moving heavy equipment. It was crazy. That so, is, in, yeah, that I, is I insane. Learned a lot doing that. Well, I mean, talk about the entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, you're literally, you're, I don't know, you're pulling rabbits out of magic hats. That is insane. Yes. Waking up in China of all places in Beijing to call in sick. I mean, who even thinks like, that is that, that that move to think, well, I'm going to get a VPN and that VPN is going to leverage a Google phone and the time like that. That's a lot of planning right there, mate, just to call in sick. My buddies at the fire department were convinced I, I was a drug dealer because like <laughs> yeah, we would imagine. work 24 hours. Yeah, we'd work 24 hours and then be off for 48. So we would work shifts where I'd be up all night on the phone or on Skype, whatever, all night, you know, talking to somebody on the other side of the world. And we would leave at like seven in the morning and go straight to the airport. I'd fly out to Miami or to um, what's the uh, Socorro, New Mexico or somewhere on the uh, like right on the Mexican, Texas border for one night, come back and be at work the next shift. While I was going down there and buying equipment or I do this or I meet somebody in Miami, you know, and they're like this guy who makes these one night, you know, flights to Miami or freaking, you know, um, Monterey, New Mexico, like. <laughs> this guy must be hustling drugs you know it was it was pretty crazy time i mean that's insane mate um i, I could dig into this for like the next hour but i'm gonna i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna spare you that i'm sure there's some great stories we'll have over a few beers at prosper but uh, <laughs> but um you you said something that i actually i i i love hearing and i feel like not enough entrepreneurs in the space um have the I don't know if humility is the word I want to use here, but just like the the honesty and the understanding, like I am good at these things. I am not good at these things. And you said that you had a few businesses um, in the 3PL space that were growing really fast. It was becoming super competitive and they didn't go so well. You, you managed to sell them. But I mean, what was it about those business? Like what, what was that learning experience for you like where you said, you know what? I think for a lot of people as well, they can be stuck between a rock and a hard place. They're growing a business, everything. like It's all great when you got the hockey stick graph going, right? It's all great when things are going on the up and you're growing and you're learning and you're expanding and you're hiring. But it's like in those moments, and I think those are tough moments for people is, do I do I sell? Do I pull the pin? Do I, do I look to pivot? Like, you know, tell me a little bit about what that was like for you. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people like to ask me about the cool stories, but we don't always talk about the failures. I mean, the, the deal in Africa was a disaster, <laughs> massive failure. I mean, we lost so Which much one? money on it. The, the heavy equipment thing, man, at one point I had a business partner, like a, he was, he's actually from Kenya, but he's an Indian guy, Weibo is his name. And at one point we were convinced that like he had a hit out on him, like, cause of this bad deal gone at the machine, like, it, you know, when you, when you do something, you're going to make mistakes. And when we were doing stuff on the scale that we were with this craziness that we were doing, like, like you're going to make mistakes. You have to. So, you know, I learned a lot about the balance between risk and like deciding whether it's a failure or not. Meaning when do we pull the plug or maybe we're not making money on this, but maybe the education that we're gaining is so valuable that like a loss is a win. Right. But ultimately, what I figured out was most of the things in business, I am not good at. I'm not. 85% of business I suck at. Terrible. 
I'm horrible at man managing finances. I mean, absolutely terrible. Like, look, you can't see it, but this stack of papers right here, the other side. Yeah. This is my 2000, part of my 2020 tax documents that I still haven't filed. I filed extensions because I'm like, I haven't got to that yet. Like right now, I do not know how much money's in my bank account, right? Yep. That's terrifying. I know how to make money, not manage it. I'm really bad at managing people, right? I'm great at relationships, bad at managing employees. I'm too lax. I'm too lazy. I don't want to micromanage. I don't, you know, I could like list 50 things I'm bad at. But when I started realizing what I'm good at, I realized if I just focus on those things and skip the rest, right? Or outsource the rest or, or find someone else to augment the rest. Like that's when I can succeed. And I see that so many times in business with, you know, whether it's e-commerce sellers or whatever, you know, I know e-commerce sellers that are great at product research, but they spend 80% of the day trying to figure out how to do PPC. Dude, don't do PPC. Like outsource that junk and spend more of that time doing research, right? What I found out I'm really good at is relationships. I'm good at negotiating deals and I'm really good at general business development. You know, like I can, I can talk to anybody for an hour and whiteboard out their next three years. Here's what you do. Here's how you build your team. You should leverage this. Like let's create it. Let's get creative here. But actually breaking that down into actionable SOPs, no way. Terrible at it. So in my world, like I figured out how to leverage relationships to bring in partners, bring in team members, uh, find employees that I can trust and I just give them complete autonomy to go do their thing, right? But I think that if I, and I think most people listening, you know, if you would focus on the 10 or 15% of things that you're good at and quit getting bogged down on the rest, you're going to be a lot better off, you know? Yeah, my taxes, my post tax, I need to finish them and I can, I can do an extension and eventually I'll find a, a tax prep guy to come in and do that, that has a clue what I'm doing. But like, I'm not going to sweat that. Like, I'm joking about it. Who cares? I filed the extension. I'm good for another several months. Like, yep. but yep. I could sit down for six days worrying about that or to move the needle faster. I could be on this podcast with you learning something you're talking about. Tomorrow, I'm getting on a plane and going down to Miami. Last week, I got on a plane and went to Austin, Texas for two days and just learned a ridiculous amount and, and fostered some relationships. I met with Zach from Gimba and me and Kevin King went out and had, you know, cigars one night. And um, like, if I focus on that, the rest kind of falls in place, right? I think everything that you've just shared there is like the secret sauce to success for most people. And I think that it's only when you can remove the ego from the equation, thinking that you can handle everything, you can do it, only you, you possess this unique ability. You know, I, I speak to a lot of Amazon sellers, particularly, you know, the ones that are a little bit smaller and it's like, well, I, you know, I need to be the one who's touching everything. I need to be the one who's doing PPC. I need to be the one who's sourcing the products. Like, you know, if you have to hold on to every ounce of control, there is an inability to grow. And even worse yet is you actually don't learn what are the things that you're good at. And when I hear you talking through all the areas, you know, I would say that you and I are, are somewhat similar in that regard. I'm not, I'm not the best manager. I'd say I'm a good leader. I can empower the right people to make good decisions and we can help create single threaded leaders and I can pick talent and do all those things. Am I going to be the person who's, you know, I kind of look at it like hunters and farmers, you know, I'm not going to sit there and farm out the day in day out practices because I'm looking to solve the next Rubik's cube. That's going to pop up into my world and whatever that looks like. And I'm going to work backwards to think how I can solve it. So I think that that realization that you have, and I would say so few entrepreneurs have and you know 
just great that we're talking about the topic of things that don't go to plan. You know, that's that's where those learnings come from. Well, I don't think that that there's a single entrepreneur that doesn't make the same mistakes that I did of trying to do it all. You know, because like we are oftentimes we're terrified, but we still are overconfident. Like we try to bite off more than we can chew. I think the successful entrepreneurs are the ones that have gotten through that growth phase and realized, ooh, I got to let go of 80% of this. But, you know, we're supposed to be the go-getters. We're supposed to be the doers. We're supposed to be the ones that can handle everything. And, and, and I really think that it took me, maybe I'm more stubborn or hard-headed than most, it took me several pretty big failures and really some, some heartbreaks even in business to realize like, hey, Tim, you have to be humble and realize you just suck at this. And now I joke about it. Like people are just like, is, is he kidding? I'm like, no, I'd like, I, I, I am literally joking about the fact that I suck about 80%. I suck at 80% of business, right? But, but like I said, anybody that's successful has gotten to that breaking point where they realized I've just got to pick my strengths. And we pick our strengths really good. And if you look at, you know, the, the best businesses, they're built with a combination of integrators and visionaries, right? Look at, um, EOS. you know, Steve... Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. Yeah, EOS. Look at, um, you know, Walt Disney. Walt Disney is a great visionary, but Disney would have never been founded if it wasn't for his brother. You know, and and I think that you don't have to be one or the other. You don't have, you know, one's not more important than the other. But when we look at like founders of really successful companies or even successful, very small companies, go out and find you a partner. If you're a visionary, find an integrator. If you're a visionary, hire an integrator. If you're an integrator, go out there and look for a visionary. I know people that meticulously day in and day out know how to do e-commerce, but they're never going to grow because they don't have like a wild charging, hey, let's try this. Let's do this crazy. Let's figure this out. Like, But they can understand spreadsheets and finances and PPC nuances, you know, the best stuff, but they'll never grow. Um, so that's, that's, I think, one thing that a lot of us have to do is realize, hey, we've either got to hire partner with or outsource those things we're not good at and folks at things we are yeah i couldn't have put it better myself you know to your point about the entrepreneurial operating system eos and having you know the way that it breaks down in in gina wickman's work is the visionary who's driving the direction of the business the integrator who's actually telling that mad person that you know most of those ideas are pretty shit but few of them are good let's implement them and then you have all the implementers who are actually getting shit done and so you know to totally break it down into something simple to digest but again if you're really going to be successful and success isn't just a monetary value i would say like you know if i look at quantifying success how do i do more of the things that i enjoy and i am good at and let and empower other people to do the things that they are good at and they enjoy and as a collective we are super cohesive and can achieve a whole lot more together and so i think when you look at that breakdown having the team dynamic and you know all the cliches the sum is greater than the parts and you know that whole that whole um aspect of it it's critical to the success of business and to the success of your sanity yeah and and that's an important thing to know you know sanity uh, entrepreneurs, and I've talked about this before, but entrepreneurs are like eight times more likely to have um, mental health issues or anxiety or depression than nearly anybody else because like we take everything personally. Our business success is our personal success, you know? So yeah, we do have to be careful to, to stay sane in all of this and avoid drama and avoid, you know, burnout because that's one of the biggest things that we suffer from because, you know, it is all personal to us. 100%. You know, I, I, if I'm super honest with myself, I would say that I go through these ebbs and flows. You know, I have moments where 
I'm absolutely on fire. You know, I'm crushing every day, every week, things are just moving in the right direction. And then, you know, you do do a whole lot of that. And in time, you're like, fuck, I've just put in the 70, 80 hour week consecutively for two or three weeks. I'm not giving myself enough time and space. And all of a sudden, like the simplest thing, like, you know, I'm more of a creative than a spreadsheets guy, but even looking at like a basic spreadsheet, I'm just like, fuck that. I cannot even... I can't do it. Like I'm going to sit here and, you know, have a few drinks or whatever I'm going to get up to instead, because it's just, it weighs on you. So I think that like that, that aspect of balance and mental health and actually giving yourself a bit of breathing room as well, you know, when you're going through these things is, is super can. It's another topic that I don't feel enough people are talking about. Yeah, I completely agree. It's, it's not addressed enough. And I think that the people that have figured it out, put themselves on a much faster trajectory to success. Definitely. Definitely. It's about being able to manage sort of the, the input and sort of, I think also being okay with the, the outcome and the output too. Like as soon as you get to that level of maturity or realization that, you know, you're never going to turn the dial 360 degrees in an instance, and it's going to be incremental change. And as long as there's like a baseline level of, consistency and you have like, you know, I'm very pragmatic when it comes to, you know, I'm in the gym three days a week. I'm swimming twice a week. I walk the dog every morning for, you know, a couple of hours in the morning. I take it to the beach. Like I have all these other things, meditation and gratitude journaling and all that stuff as well. I build my structures around those things so that I actually create balance in my life. And I feel like, you know, that's another thing as well. When you talk about it's not about secrets. It's, you know, everyone's on their journey and they're all trying to figure out what works for them. But I think that that's one of the things that a lot of people miss is like, how do I just spend more hours in front of the computer where in reality, mate, we've all got 168 hours. No one else is, you know, it's the great equalizer. So how do you actually, how do you become more effective throughout that whole process? Yeah, agreed. It's it's like the great mystery. You know, how do we solve this? How do we figure this out? Because if we could teach other people how to figure that out, we're going to, you know, be able to offer the most exclusive and expensive course out there. Well, speaking of expensive, but well, expensive and exclusive, but let's flip that. Um, I'm just looking at the sign that you got there, Private Label Legion. I think that um, super impressive and I love the mission and I love the way in which you've built this free community that leads into a mastermind and it's all about and this is like very central to my life belief is that it's all about value creation how do i actually help first create value before i ever request for a dollar anyone's time anyone to actually invest in whatever it is i've got going on but man, i'd love to hear a little bit more about private label legion i'm sure that people listening will probably get some value out of it too yeah, basically for, for me, I realized that there wasn't going to be a course that was going to put me over their edge. There wasn't going to be a single consultant that's going to put me over the edge. When I realized like what put me over the edge in, in e-com success, it was literally just surrounding myself with people that were struggling like I am, smarter than I am in some ways, and going through the journey kind of at the same time as me, right? When I think about like going to conferences where I'd learned the most, it wasn't from the from the stage, it was sitting at a table or standing in a line at the coffee shop out in the, the lobby, you know, and just meeting someone random and having these great conversations, building relationships. So when I started Private Label Legion, it was actually um, not something I wanted to do. 
but I had friends and colleagues pushing me to do it. They're like, listen, you need to set a stage where other people can come in, hang out, learn some good, no BS information, not be sales pitched to all the time, right? Like just a safe space, right? Um, and in turn, Tim, you'll learn a lot too. So I set it up. We started doing events. You know, we, we partner with people like the ASD trade show in Vegas and we run workshops there. We do meetups, we do socials. We have a free Facebook group. And I thought that was perfectly fine. I thought that was great. And then people said, Hey, look, Tim, when you offer something and you don't offer something more, they get mad at you. You know, Tim, you hint about all this stuff. You hint about these great methods, these great strategies, but like, you're not sitting there teaching people what they are. I'm like, well, I don't have time to teach people. I'm trying to run a business. Like I would need staff to put this together. So finally, what we did is we built something that was scalable, which is what we call the Centurion League, like the upper echelon of the, of the Legion. And it is group coaching and mentoring. So I can scale it. It's not one-on-one consulting, but you still get the community. Um, when we have, you know, we have multiple Zoom calls a week and, you know, people jump on, it's family, it's community. The people that are brand new are hearing questions from other people they didn't even know to ask. They're learning. We have advanced sellers that are learning a ton from, from brand new sellers. Like it's a whole mix. I partnered with Norm uh, Farrar on this and it's turned out to be really cool. You know, it's not a big moneymaker for us. We actually break even every month. We're at like a break even point between our membership dues. Cause we try to keep it very inexpensive. Um, but we have staff that runs everything and operates it and super smooth. And we have all the recordings are edited and placed for members, like all that good stuff. So yeah, the private label legion is not something that I intended on doing, but it's been a big part of my growth too. And I, and I think it's important because there's so much crap out there. You know, there's Facebook groups of a hundred thousand people that are just getting pitched to, and it's all bad information, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm always shocked when I see, um, <laughs> I see stuff in some of the bigger groups, like, you know, I'll say like something posted in the Helium 10 group, for example, and there'll be like 40 million VAs out of Pakistan, like liking and commenting on like, this guy's your guy. I'm like, what, yep. what is going on over here? Um, like, as so I think that that's definitely something that's appreciated is it's almost like, you know, and I think about this too, like we have such incredible partners that we work with and a ton of value creation that goes through um, all the people and all the things that we're doing in business. Like the, there's that, there's that push pull of like, yeah, you want to give away everything for free, but you also want to prevent, you know, all these shysters coming in who are just trying to like drum up business. So it, yeah. it's, it's finding that balance. Well, for me, I've found that the more I give, the more I receive. I don't ask for things. I don't ask for favors. Generally, I reach out as many times as I can just to connect as many people as I can. And um, I feel like I get like residual benefit from that. Right. So prosper. Um, you've been invited to a pretty exclusive party. Right. And that I'm no, throwing. Forget just the exclusiveness about the party. The greatest promotion I've ever seen. <laughs> the invite. The invite. Oh, dude, you're you are creative on another level. <laughs> but, <laughs> thank you. But like that party, um, it's over the top. It's crazy. It's gonna be just absolutely ridiculous. It's extremely expensive. But I don't ask people to help me. You know, I'm not asking you to help me pay for that. And and it's not about me. I just know and I've learned that like when I put myself out there and I take the time to host these crazy events, like it helps me build relationships that are going to help benefit me. And it'll help you benefit by building a relationship with someone else that you might not get some one-on-one -on -one time with, you know? So like the more I just put out there in the universe, the more people I connect, the more favors I can do, not ask for, but do. The more I can help people, the more free advice I can give, like, it just benefits everybody. Last week, you know, I was in Austin, sat down with a company with a huge team of operators 
and spent two hours just trying to help them figure out how to optimize their product selection criteria. I didn't ask them to pay me. I didn't ask them to pay me to fly down there, you know, but like, I know that I will learn something there that will benefit me or they'll refer me for something else. Like it might take two years to get some ROI, but it works. And whether you're a service fighter, whether you're e-commerce seller, like put yourself out there. I tell e-commerce sellers all the time, like quit trying to go buy another course. You don't need to join your 12th mastermind. You don't need to go to your 82nd event this year. Spend some time in a Facebook group and answer questions. If someone has a question, they're a newbie and all these you know, morons responded, jump in there and, hey, I think I know the answer to this. This is what I think. You can spend 20 minutes sending somebody a public response, answer their question of something that you actually know the answer to. And like, it opens up relationships. People will start recognizing you and start helping you. You know, if I go in a big Facebook group and ask a question every day, uh, people are going to stop responding. But if I answer 10 questions a week, when I really need some help, man, people are going to bend over backwards to help me. So spend some time uh, building up relationships, building up networks. Um, when you're trying to help somebody else figure out their problem or their issue or something they need to make, you know, make themselves better at, you're going to learn doing that too. You know, so, so give more than you intend to get, and you will typically get more than you gave. And that's kind of what I figured out by accident. And it's, it's my philosophy for anything from learning how to sell an e-com or spreading to Walmart or business development, whatever it is. Mate, it's a, it's a valuable lesson in life. And I got to say, I, I have a very similar philosophy and I experienced it. Um, I mean, we've never had this conversation before, but I'm, I'm, I'm a burner. So I, I spent, uh, when I was living in, in the States, I used to go. And also I've flown there a couple of times since uh, moving to Israel. But um, one of the principles is the gift of giving without the expectation of reciprocation. And so- yep. I think when you have that mental shift of, you know, I, I mean, I, I like to sort of break it down to, you know, when you go to a bar, simplest example, you and I are sitting at the bar, I buy the first round and then I'm already in my head. I'm saying historically thinking, all right, well, Tim's going to get the next one. And as soon as you let that go and you say, well, you know what? I, I liked him, you know, him and I, we get along. I'm fucking, I'm buying him a beer because I want to get him a beer because I love his company. And that's all it is to me. There's no expectation of reciprocation. There's like a wonderful thing that happens, I think, from a, you know, I'm getting a little bit woo-woo here, but like a little bit higher level in life where as soon as you stop expecting anything in return and it's just, what can I do to improve someone else's experience? What can I do to actually genuinely help someone? You A, feel a whole lot better about it, but all of a sudden, like, you know, it, it spreads and it multiplies. And, you know, I'll, I'll sit here at the end of this call and I'll think, shit, what, who else can I introduce Tim? I mean, he knows everyone, but who else can I introduce him to that's going to help have impact in his life, in business and beyond? Like, what are the things that I can do to support someone that, you know, I have a, a relationship, a connection with? And so I think, you know, when you talk about scaling businesses, when you talk about any form of personal or business growth, as soon as you turn that focus outward and you think about what can I do for others, the whole world opens up for you. I think, yeah. I think it's yeah. a really powerful point that you, that you make there. Um, well, I know whether we're getting, we're getting laid into this and mate, I seriously just love, uh, love sitting and having chats with you, but I mean, you've got tons of things going on here before I let you leave. What, how would someone get in touch with you? What would they get in touch with you for, what are the opportunities that you're going after at the minute? Um, yeah, I definitely don't want to, to give any sales pitches or anything like that. But if anybody you know has a question about e-commerce, they can 
uh, I would say go to our free Facebook group, Private Label Legion, the one that Norm Farrar and myself run. Uh, ask any questions you have there. And we even have like VAs that scour those questions. And even though I might not go on the group very often, we can get the answers in. If you have a question or you have a thought or something more business development related, uh, look me up on LinkedIn. You can find me pretty easily there. And, and you know, I, I do watch for those messages coming in. That's the best place to do that. Kind of segmenting my e-com versus my business development personas. Love it. Well, Tim, again, really appreciate you jumping on and having a chat. I feel like I learned a lot and got a deeper look into sort of why I would say you are as successful as you are and why you're as capable as you are. You're super aware of where you sit and the value that you bring to the table. You're not trying to take everything on. And I think that's super admirable. And, you know, I try and also, you know, mirror that or, or coin what I'm going to look like in that regard too. So mate, again, thanks so much for sitting down. I'm sure people got a lot out of this. Cool. Well, thanks for having me on. I know it takes a lot of work to put these together, so I don't take that lightly. So I appreciate you doing that for everybody that's listening. Yeah. Yeah. You would know, mate, with a podcast. So yeah, no, again, mate, thanks a lot.